The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. What's up, Lifehouse? How are you doing today? That girl can sing. She killed that song, man. Well, hey, my name is John Ware. I am planting Lifehouse Newport News in Newport News, Virginia, uh, launching September 17th. Yeah, y'all can clap. Newport News, give it up. September 17th, 2017 is when we are going to be launching and we are just uh, really, really excited. So tonight after night of worship, I'm gonna be having a meeting that I would love for you to to come and check out because I would love for you to move to Newport News and plant this church with me. I think I'm God's word to you right now. I think the Lord is speaking through me right now prophetically. You are called to move. I'm I'm just kidding. But it is a great, great city, and it needs a great church. And, man, we are going to be uh, uh, launching there September 17, 2017. So we would love for you to come and be a part. at least tonight, come out, check us, uh, check us out, and, and just see what we have going on. And that would be awesome. Well, hey, Love Songs Part 5. Do you remember falling in love? Okay, all right, all right, all right. We got some people here like, yeah. Some of you might be falling in love right now. Right, like, you know, and, and see me. So I've, 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 I've been married. I'm coming up on nine years. Not nine years of marriage. This year, and so about 10 years back, uh, my wife Kristen and I, we started this process of falling in love. And, and love is, is so crazy, because when you're in love, you will do things you absolutely don't like to do and hate just to be with that person. Like you will literally, I mean, if, you know, me, listen, I mean, I can't stand TV shows. Like I, I can't stand N, NCIT or P or N, NCIQ or what's NCIS or all these detective shows and all that where, where, where you gotta solve this mystery. I'm like, I got enough drama in my own life. I don't need someone else's drama just coming into my life. I'm like, I don't need that. Um, but man, if Kristen was watching that, I'm, I'm watching those shows because I just wanna be with her. I mean, I don't care what she's doing. I just wanna be with her. Like she, we, we were so in, in love. I'd go to the driving range to hit golf balls, and she would come to the driving range just to watch me hit golf balls. I mean, we were so crazy, like we used to stay up, this is funny, we used to stay up on the phone talking till like 4 a.m. And I'd have to be to work by like 7.30 or 8. I mean, I think about that now, I'm like, once it hits 11 o'clock, I got three kids, a five, three, and one, I'm done. Like, we could talk about whatever you wanna talk about in the morning, because tonight I'm going to bed. Like, but man, when you're in love, you do some crazy things. And when I was trying to really des- describe what love is kind of like, about 10, years ago, I, I, about 10 years ago, I went skydiving. And um, how many of you have ever been skydiving? The most I've had in a service so far is like three people. So we got one, we got two. Is that it? Three, okay. Anyone else? Four, may, you know, maybe beat, beat the actual record. Okay, three. Well, you guys are the semi-crazy service. So, all right, good job. You had three, you tied. But skydiving, if you've never been skydiving, uh, first off, I'm, I did it once and I'm done. I'm never doing it uh, again. I found once, once, you know, once I had kids, I'm going away from things that I could possibly die doing. So it's, it's like skydiving, roller coasters, um, any, anything like that. I'm like, nope, I'm good. I want to live because I want to see my children when they grow up. Um, but skydiving, man, man, skydiving involves your senses, man. Like all of your senses, you're feeling it, you're 
I mean, you jump out and gravity takes over and you're just free falling. And man, you, you know, your senses are just heightened and man, you feel it and it's something that you fall into. And whenever I was thinking about love, how typically love is in, you know, how typically love is in this culture, love is typically portrayed as something that we fall into and something that we feel. And really as this song Gravity just said to us, it said, something always brings me back to you. It never takes too long. No matter what I say or do, <clears throat> I'll still feel Oh Jesus, <clears throat> I still feel you're here till the moment I'm gone. Oh, you loved me because I'm fragile when I thought that I was strong, but you touched me for you touched me for a little while and all my fragile strength is gone. Something always brings me back to you. It never takes too long. Our culture tells us that love is something that you feel and something that you fall into. And what we see is this, man, there's a lot of love going on in our culture, in this, in this country. Statistically, if you are born in this country, there's a 90% chance that you will get married. So if you are here and you are not married, your day is coming. It probably is. Just hang in there. Eventually you have, I mean, Stats are on your side. For all of you stat people, it is on your side. You will probably, guys, you'll probably find some woman to like you enough to possibly marry you. Women, the same way. Just stick to it. Stick with it. You have a 90% shot. People fall in love. But the only bad thing about saying that love is something that we feel and something that we fall into and it only being that is that we typically see that people not only fall into love and they feel it, but then they fall out of it when they stop feeling it. And when that typically happens, people do what? They get divorced. And in our country, the stats show us that 50% of couples that get married in this country get divorced. 50%. 50%. So, so really statistically in this room, you are either A, been divorced, going through a divorce, or here's the, you might even be possibly a child of divorce. And I think we can all pretty much say the carnage that happens whenever divorce happens. It's ugly. You got moms and dads fighting over stuff, fighting over dollars, fighting over who's gonna have, the, who's, who, who's gonna have custody of the children, who's gonna get the money, who's gonna get the car, who's gonna get the house. We can see the way that this carnage happens. And we have to ask, is this what God had in mind whenever he created marriage? Was this to have 50% of them fail? Was it just love? Was this gonna be something that we feel? Whenever we feel, we fall into it. And whenever we don't have those feelings anymore, we just fall out of it. Is there a better way? Is there a better song? And thankfully, as we have been studying in the Song of Solomon, we have seen there is a better way. There is a better song. And it is a God-inspired song that, we've, that we find in the inspired Bible called the Song of Songs, documenting a love story between King Solomon and, and a peasant girl where, where it documents their uh, their attraction, affection, them dating, them getting married, their wedding day, their wedding night, all of the good stuff that typically comes along with marriage. However, something that we haven't really looked at in this Song of Solomon's story, song, is that whenever they hit issues, 
whenever they hit a snag. In chapter four, last week, Patrick covered their wedding night and it was awesome. It, it, was, it was this great, great intimate time. And right from chapter four, going into chapter five, we see that there's trouble in paradise. Issues hit even the most, the, the greatest example that God used in the, I mean, there's an inspired book in the Bible about love, sex, dating, relationships. The couple that God used, they were not a perfect couple. They hit issues. I don't know about you, but that makes me feel so much better. That makes me feel so much better because I'm like, I'm, you know, I've been married for nine years. My wife and I, we love each other, but man, we still hit issues. And, it, and I don't know about, that just makes me feel better. So we're gonna actually get a glimpse here of, of King Solomon in this peasant's girl issue. This is cultural, so you're gonna have to kind of get an interpretation here. But Song of Solomon chapter five, verses two through six, let's kind of get a little glimpse of what's going on. She says this, I slept, but my heart was awake. Listen, my beloved is knocking. This is him. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my, my flawless one. My head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of the night. I've, and she says this, I've taken my robe off. Must I put it on again? I've washed my feet. Must I soil them again? My, my beloved thrust his hand through the door latch. My heart began to pound for him. I got up to open for my beloved and my hands dripped with mirror my fingers with flowing mirror on the handles of the bolt. I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had left. He was gone. My heart sank at his departure. I looked for him, but did not find him. I called for him, but he did not answer. Let me give you John Ware translation here. What happened? They just had this great night. It was really, really good. He, he goes out somewhere. He comes back. The door's locked. He's knocking on the door. She's like, yo, for real, I just took my robe off. I just got my nails done. My feet are all nice. And now you want me to get up and open the door for, okay, I'll get up. He gets up or, or ex, ex, excuse me, she gets up, goes to the door, he's gone. And she's like, my heart, where'd it go? I mean, I can just see him being like, really? I had a great night playing for you, girl. We, we man, it, it, it was so good. And then I leave for just a few seconds. I come back and the door is locked. You won't even let me in because you're so lazy being on, the, being on the bed. Yeah, I know you got your nails did. I, I know you got this done and you won't even let me in. What, what I find and what I see here is I see some issues. Part of me is like, woohoo, what, what, what happens next? <laughs> but it just makes me feel so good that here's the deal. If you are married, it's, you're gonna have problems. Do not be deceived thinking that marriage is gonna be some peachy keen, easy journey, because it's not. I call marriage, this, this is what I call it. I call it a beautiful mess. It's a beautiful mess. It is the most, it's the best of times, and it's the worst of times. But the problem is, is that when couples hit problems and the feeling of love falls away, what happens? Not if it happens, but when it happens. If your marriage is struggling, then congratulations, you're home from your honeymoon. <laughs> now, this is what I know about church people, which I'm one, is we don't like to let people know we're struggling. 
we're very good at hiding. We're very good at covering up. And something that I am kind of like dealing with now is something called dad bod. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but whenever you get, <laughs> it's an actual sickness. It's an actual condition. It's called dad bod to where whenever you get children, whenever you have children, you just end up eating whatever your children eat because you're so tired and worn out from making them food. You're like, yeah, waffles with syrup sounds great for breakfast, right? Chicken, chicken nuggets and tater tots, great idea. So you just end up eating whatever your kids eat and what ends up happening is, is you end up gaining, gaining weight. And so a couple months, I don't know, this was a while ago, but I could find myself, I was up to, I mean, you know, something that I wasn't comfortable with. And I found that whenever we would go to the beach, the pool or something like that, and I was gonna be taking my shirt off, before I did that, I would go like this. And then I would take my shirt off and I would look like I had issues and I was just walking around because I was sucking in and, and holding in the stuff that I didn't want to show so I could make it appear and seem like everything was good. Just walking around, you know, but, but, but then whenever I put the shirt back on, I just let it all out because I could not hold that in for one more second. But this is what we do in church. We're going to church. Hey, brother, how's it going? Man, life is great. Life is good. Bless you, brother. It's all good. Praise the Lord. Nothing wrong in my home. And you and your wife just got done arguing, yelling. You talked about her past. She talked about your past. You always do this. You always do that. But now you're at church. We're doing great. <laughs> No issues here. And then whenever you leave church, you always do this. Every single marriage has three stages. The honeymoon stage where there's nothing wrong with your spouse. You appreciate her differences. She loves to spend. You're a saver. You just love her spontaneous nature. Uh, you, you just appreciate the fact that she holds everything in. You know, you know this stage, it's, it's all good. They can do no wrong. This is the honeymoon stage. It's, it's all good. But then you hit stage two, disillusionment, where you're like, hmm, I don't like the fact that she holds everything in. Because we can't, because we, whenever we have conflict, I'm talking and she's not. Or she's talking and I'm not. We're trying to pay these bills, babe. We can't be going out and spending money at Express. Like, no. Why, like, why is there credit card debt? So it's like all, all of these like differences that you thought were so cute during, during, you know, during the actual honeymoon stage, in this stage, disillusionment, you're like, they aren't cute, they're actually annoying. And this is really, really bothering me. And then you, and then you keep on hitting communication issues. And you are pretty much at this point where you have to decide, what are we going to do? 
Are we gonna stay in this stage or what is, what is gonna be the next step? Are we gonna stay in this stage or are we gonna go on to the next step? And the thing about the next step is you have a choice, the third and final stage. And it's gonna be one of two things. Number one, commitment, where you're gonna love in spite of really this, dis, of this disillusionment stage, or you're going to give up and get a divorce. And really, it'd be easy today to kind of talk about typical marriage issues, communication, sex, money, parenting, how you fight fair, and all of those things. But what I find is all of those symptoms, they have a root, and the root is found in how, at the bottom and core of your being, how you view marriage how you view marriage, how you view marriage. So what I wanna do is I wanna dig a little bit deeper today and hopefully dig a little bit deeper into your heart and really examine and see how you ultimately view marriage. So married people, raise your hand. Married people, raise your hand. Okay, married people, if your spouse is here, I want you to take your hand and grab your spouse's hand. Gear up, okay, it's gonna be fun. Anybody here single? Single. Single people, hold your hands up high. Other single people, look around right now. Maybe after church, maybe just saying. Maybe there could be some love song, you know, love song series. Get some love flowing, get some love, love going here. You know, hey, just, I mean, what better place to meet somebody to possibly date and marry than in church? And you could take some of these, you know, principles that you've learned during this love song series and start putting them into practice, right? This is great. Practical application, right? But you're gonna view marriage one of two ways and, and, and we're gonna really dig. You're gonna view marriage, number one, as a contract or a covenant. As a contract or a covenant. A contract is essentially an agreement that states what each side is going to do to make things work. It's gonna have stipulations, penalties, and ways to get out if things don't go right. We live in a contract culture. Contract culture is good business, right? But we live in a contract culture. If you're gonna get a cell phone, you, you gotta sign what? A contract. If you wanna buy a house, you, you have to sign a contract. If you want a car, you have to sign a contract. Contract is good because we live in a sinful world and we have gotta have things to back us up. Unfortunately, a contract's a very bad idea in marriage. Now, complementary, not complementary, in contrast to a contract is a covenant. And a covenant was God's original intention whenever he created marriage. A covenant is this, it, it is a commitment where one party declares that they give themselves fully to the other, holding nothing back regardless of what the other person ever does or doesn't do, even to the point of death, and the other individual responds with the same commitment. A covenant is based on selfless, sacrificial love when someone is willing to give their life completely in serving and caring for the other, expecting nothing in return. That's why whenever you are at a, 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 whenever you're at a wedding, you have vows. And whenever you say this, do you promise to love and to cherish, to have and to hold? Do you promise forsaking all others to cleave to each other and to them alone for as long as you both shall live? If, you, um, if so, respond by saying what? I do. It requires a vow. A covenant 
A contract, excuse me, is just between two people hashing it out, saying who, who can get the best deal. A covenant is between three, you two and God being there. You are saying a covenant with your spouse and you're saying a covenant to God, saying I'm gonna honor what I'm telling him or her today. Digging deeper here. A contract marriage, a contract mindset. A contract marriage is all about your benefit. It basically is how can you, how can this person make your life better? How can you use this person to make your life better? And this, per, and, and this view hasn't just permeated marriage, it's permeated dating where you have a bunch of people going around looking for the best contract. They're like, who looks the best? Who has the most money? Who will possibly sleep with me? Who will let me live with them rent free? Like, how can I go and find the best deal? And this is a good mindset if you're like buying a car, you know, throwing oil changes, you know, you know, you know, you know what, do my tires, rotate my, my tires, give me warranties. Those are good in business, but when it comes to marriage, it's a terrible idea. A covenant marriage, though, isn't just about your benefit, but it's about our benefit. You go from it just being me to it being we. It goes from it just being about me to it just being about you to it being about we to it, about, to it being about us. My wife and I, we've been married, like I said, coming up on nine years and stats show, counselors tell you it takes nine years to, statistically nine years for couples to move from, from a me mindset to a we mindset. Do you, know what, do you know what year statistically couples typically break up? Year eight. Year eight, they're just on the cusp, they're almost there, they hit the disillusionment stage and then they give up. I can tell you this is so true because I mean, I'm coming up on, on year nine. And I can honestly say, I, like year nine, like I'm finally just starting to actually like get this whole thing of it, not just being about me, but it being about us. A contract marriage also keeps a record of performance. In a contract marriage, you're kind of like, you know, a job manager. How, how did she do cooking today? How did she do cleaning the house today? How did he do doing his duties, doing his jobs? How does he doing at his job? Has he got this certain amount of cash that he's bringing in? And it's like you become this person where you're just constantly evaluating their performance. But a covenant marriage is built on love. In 1 Corinthians 13 in the Bible, where it's talking about what love is, it says one of the characteristics of it, love, is that it keeps no record of wrongs. So you are not have this like running list that you're going through saying, you know what, my spouse did this. I'm gonna use this against them. And you've got this like running log, this running list of things that they've done against you. When you're in a covenant marriage, you don't do that. You throw that out because you love your spouse in spite of their flaws. A contract marriage, you focus on winning. It's all about you winning. You become a coach. How can I scheme to win this argument? How can I win this battle? I wanna buy this car, but they don't. How am I gonna win and get what I want? You win the argument, you win the battle. So 
you, do you know what you do? You lie, manipulate, and scheme to get your way. A covenant marriage, though, focuses not on you winning, but on God winning and you worshiping through how you treat each other. Covenant marriage is a great idea. It's what God intended. But having a covenant marriage is completely dependent upon us, you, me, couples, having a covenant relationship with God that is built on Jesus Christ. Because the source of having a covenant marriage is not our own good works, our good intentions, or good desires, but the source of God's love for us is found in Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad Jesus doesn't deal with us on a contract basis? Come on, on a contract basis. Imagine with me for just one moment. Jesus is gonna sit seven billion people down and have contract negotiations with them. You know, Jesus walks in, how's it going, John? Good, Jesus, how you doing? Good, great. Jesus is gonna sit me down, look me in the eye, and be like, hey, John, I know you want me to love you, right? Yep, that's the whole goal. Well, John, here's, here's how the contract is gonna work. You're gonna need to do 1,000 good deeds a day. You're gonna, you're gonna have to walk old ladies across the street you're gonna to have to be nice. You're gonna to have to love your wife. You're never gonna to have to have any bad motives, any bad intentions. You're gonna to have to give me 30% of your money, not just 10, I want 30. And it's like, I, I want you to do all these things. And if you want me to love you, you've got to, you have got to do this. Here, sign on the dotted line. Aren't you glad Jesus doesn't deal with us that way? But isn't this the way we deal with each other many times in relationships? Marriages, we have this contract mindset that yeah, if you do your part of the deal, then I'll do my part. If you don't do your part, I ain't doing my part. <laughs> you want me to love you? How about you show me some love? <laughs> I'm not gonna love you if you're not loving me. That's a contract mindset. But what if, God did, did, what if God did that to us? But no, he gives us covenant love. Now just imagine with me, Jesus sits us, Jesus sits us down. He says, look, John, I love you. And because I love you, I'm going to leave heaven and come to earth, become like you in every single way, feel what you feel, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, live a perfect sinless life. Then I'm gonna go and die on a cross for you the most horrific way any, any, um, the most horrific way anybody possibly can in your place and for your sin. And then I'm going to resurrect from, from, uh, from, th from the dead, sorry, stuttering people problems, from the dead, and prove to you that I conquered Satan's sin and death. And when I do this, your sins are forgiven. You will be accepted by God and you can now live a new life empowered by the Holy Spirit that lives in you. And the best part is there's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to coerce me to get it. It's freely given by me and accepted by grace through faith in me. John, do you want to accept this? If you do, no need to sign. It's always there, just accept it. That's the covenant love that God gives us. 
he's done his job and he's not leaving. When he died on the cross, he forever declared, I am in a covenant, I have a covenant love for you. And there's nothing you could do or not do to change that, earn that, or get it. It is only given by Jesus Christ. And the thing is, is you can't give a covenant love to your spouse as you've, as if you've never been given a covenant love from God. The covenant love that God gives us is the fuel that we need to be able to give a covenant type of love to our spouses. Some of you think you have just got big issues in your marriage. You think that it's just communication, it's sex, money, it's conflict. When really the, the big issue is, is you need to get your life right with Jesus. Because whenever you fix you and you get the covenant love that God gives and you're then able to give a covenant relationship with your spouse, that will fix a lot of different issues because here's the deal, you can't give what you haven't been given. When you realize that you've been, you have been forgiven for what you've done to God, it becomes a lot easier to forgive your spouse for what she's done. When you realize that God loves you in spite of your flaws, you can love your spouse in spite of her flaws. When you realize that God laid down his rights and privileges to save and serve us, it's then easier for us to to put down our rights and privileges and serve our spouses first. But one of the biggest things that a covenant relationship deals with is sin, is sin. From the very beginning, sin has separated. If you look in the beginning of, of Genesis, Adam and Eve, what ultimately separated them from God was sin. What ultimately separated them as a couple was sin. It's something that I always tell couples. First thing that I, that I say to them is, I, um, I stutter, so this could be the longest ceremony you've ever had. Okay, <laughs> secondly, after I tell them that, <laughs> you can laugh, it's okay. My stuttering's cute, I think it's cute. <laughs> what I tell them though is, We'll just say Corey and Lauren. We'll just use them as the example. I say, Corey, you're gonna sin against Lauren. Lauren, you're gonna sin against Corey. And I say, whenever that happens, the sin that you guys do against each other has gotta go somewhere. And if you do not have Jesus at the center of your relationship, that sin will go on the other person. And what you'll wanna do is then you will want to blame them, punish them, and chastise them for what they said and did to you. But if you put Jesus at the center of that relationship and Jesus takes sins away, he died for sins. Whenever there is sin, the sin doesn't have to go on that person. It can go on Jesus. And Jesus has already been blamed, punished and sacrificed for sin. So what Jesus does, he takes that sin out and, he's a, and now we're able to come together and, and now you can have the oneness that God desires. Because God says that we are called to be one flesh, one flesh, but, 
But what takes us from that is sin. But in a covenant relationship, it deals with sin. In a contract, when there is sin, it brings separation. You didn't do your part. You failed me. You did this. You did that. I'm going to blame you, punish you, and make you pay for it. But this isn't the way that Jesus loves us. In a covenant, when there is sin, there, there is forgiveness extended, love and grace given. You don't blame, punish, or make them pay for it because Jesus has already been blamed, already been punished, has already paid for our sin. And because you have been given grace, you can then give it to your spouse. Because you have been given forgiveness, you can then give it to your spouse. But in order to give it, you have to receive it. Have you received God's love today? Have you received God's covenant love today? You know, whenever two people, spouses, are in a covenant relationship with God and they take their God-given roles, marriage becomes not just this way to make you happy. It becomes more than just about something to please you. Marriage becomes this big billboard that is shouting to our culture, this is who God is and this is what God is like. The ultimate purpose, marriage, was to show who God is and what God is like and literally how God works. In the book of Ephesians chapter five, Paul wrote this letter to a church he planted. And and this church had questions about marriage. And Paul, he wrote back to them and he wanted to tell them how marriage is supposed to work, how each part in this relationship, the husband and wife, the roles that they are supposed to play to give God glory. And we're gonna pick up reading in Ephesians chapter five, verse 22 through 24. It says this. It says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Women here are probably like, oh my God, submit, are you serious? The Bible actually says to do that. <laughs> like, have you seen my husband? You want me to submit to him? Really? But there's been a bunch of abuse with this word. There, there's been a bunch of bad teaching with this word. Let me tell you what this word submit means. In no way does it mean, ladies, that you are any, that you are below men, because we are both made, guys and girls, made in the image of God. We both have equal worth. It is not about worth here. What this word submit means is you have a trust Lost my notes, where are they at, right here. Is that you have a trust in the love, in the protection and leadership of your husband. Is it really ultimately boils down to trust. And that's why guys, men, husbands here, you have to work hard to earn your wife's trust. Because it can be a scary thing for her to do what the Bible says, to, you know, to submit and to, you know, and to follow you and to trust you. And men, you've got to work hard at earning her trust. You know, Kristen, my wife, um, unfortunately, she's been in a couple car accidents. And so, 
she is not here, I don't think, okay, good. Um, she is the worst backseat driver that has ever been, that there ever has been in the history of humankind. I love her, but when I'm driving, like I'm driving night in Nice and, and you know, and I'm, I'm, I think I'm being good and she's like hanging on to the side like she's on some like, you know, roller coaster or something like that. And it's like, babe, it's, it's, it's okay. Like we're not gonna get in a car accident. It's, you know, I've, I've got two hands on the wheel, 10 and two, you know. But what I've had to do is I've had to learn, is I've had to learn and earn her trust. She obviously had something bad happen in her past. So do you know what, I mean, do you know what? I could just easily be like, get over it. If, if you're gonna ride with me, this is the way it's gonna be. I'm gonna drive, this is my, I'm gonna drive the way that I wanna drive. But no, it's like, you know what? I've gotta earn my wife's trust. So do you know what? Whenever she rides with me, there's 60 car lengths between me and the other cars. I'm gonna make sure she's safe. I'm gonna make sure she not, she not only is safe, but that she feels safe. That's a small thing, guys. I mean, that, that's, that's kind of a dumb little story, but where do you need to, in your wife's life, men, earn your wife's trust? Maybe it's in the bedroom. Maybe it's in finances. Maybe it's in communication. And you just saying, do it, do it, do it my way. We're, you know, we're gonna just submit. That's not the way Christ leads us. That's not the way Christ leads us, men. And we're called to be like Jesus and lead our families and lead our homes the way Christ leads this church. In this next verse, verse 24, it says, men, we are the head of this relationship. This word head does not mean anything in regards to domineering over, or it means nothing about ruling over, this word literally means responsible for. Men, you have been given the responsibility to lead your home, to lead your wife, and to as Jesus loves, serves, nurtures, encourages the church men, we are then called to lead, serve, encourage, and nurture our wives and our homes. And here's the deal, as each part takes its course, as each, as each part in this covenant relationship takes its, uh, takes its God-given role, men, as you lead and love like Jesus, your wife, her response is like, dude, this guy wants nothing but the best for me. This guy has my best interest in mind. How can I not submit to him? And as Christ, leads and as the church submits to Christ, we are called, men, we're called to lead. Ladies, you are called to submit and encourage, respect your husband. But men, we are the head, we're called to lead. You are responsible for. In verse 25 here in Ephesians, it says, Husbands, love your wives. This is Christ loved the church and gave himself up, up for her. In other words, he died for it. He died for it. You've got to let your wife know you would die for her. That there's no doubt that you are going to die to your sinful ways, your selfish desires, even your physical life if, if that had to happen. 
because Christ gave himself up for the church and that was an example for us men about how we need to lead our homes. That, that, is, that, that really is, is an example for us of how we need to lead given our lives up. And really what this does, whenever we take our God-given roles, it's a loud, proud way shouting to God, this is who God is and this is what God is like. You know, in our day, it's so normal for us to spend so much time and money on the first day of a marriage. I mean, just think of how much money is spent on the first day. 25, 30,000, how much, how much did your wedding cost, right? We put a lot of money, we put a lot of time, we put a lot of planning. I mean, girls, you're planning this joint from like when you're 10 years old. Like you, you I mean, you are like planning this thing out, flowers, dress, my bridesmaids dresses, cake, food, whatever. I mean, you're planning this thing out. Think of how much time, energy we spend in planning the first day. How much time, energy, effort do we put into thinking about the last day? How do we want our last day to look? How do we want whenever this thing is over and done and possibly one of you passes or possibly one of you dies, whenever you're old, you're sitting on the front porch or you're sitting in your thing and you got grandkids running around and I mean, what do you want to see? What kind of legacy do you want to leave? What do you want your last day to look like? What kind of song do you want to actually write? Because our culture will tell you the song to play is one where if you feel it, you fall into it, do it. But whenever you realize imperfections, you fall out of it. But no, I want to encourage you to write a love story that will echo throughout your lifetime, be talked about at family functions and told to future generations, one that is built on the covenant love that God gave you, that God gives us, and in turn, we give to our spouses. I've got three boys, five-year-old, three-year-old, and one-year-old. My whole goal and desire is to love my wife so well that my sons come back to me and they say, Dad, thank you for showing us how Jesus loves us by the way you love mom. Thank you for showing me the example about how to treat my wife by the way you treated mom. I didn't understand it then, I was young, but now I see why you did what you did. Now I see why you spoke to her the way that you did. Now I see why you loved her the way that you did. Don't just think temporarily. Don't just think here and now when it's tough and hard. Think with a legacy mindset. What do you wanna leave behind? What kind of legacy do you want to leave? Let's just take some time right now and just pause and pray. Bow your heads with me. Just think about how if you are here today, you're married, and maybe you are honestly, your marriage is struggling, but maybe you've done what I talked about earlier and you just kinda, just kinda said, you know what, we're at church, babe, let's just, let's just go to church then we'll come home and talk about it. If, if your marriage is struggling, I encourage you to get help. Be strong and get help. It's okay. A marriage is hard. You can't do it alone. Maybe you are at a place today where you need to accept the covenant love of God. You've looked at God as being someone that just gives out contracts and you have never accepted that, you know what, this covenant love that God gives is not based upon nothing that you do, but it's totally based upon what he's done, dying on the cross in your place for your sins. It just needs to be accepted. 
Maybe you need to do that today. Or maybe you need to ask your husband or wife to forgive you today. Whatever you need to do, whatever business you need to do with God today, do it because our world needs to see and know the covenant love of God through your marriage. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church, located in Hagerstown, Maryland. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.